Hi, and welcome to the Heroes in Our Midst podcast, brought to you by Elite Sports Injury. With five locations in Winnipeg, they are here when you need physiotherapy or massage therapy. Your body's worth it, so make the time for yourself. I'm Michelle Sawatsky-Coop, the lucky one who gets to chat with our incredible guests. Our guest for today's episode is Dana Spiring. Now, Dana is currently the president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg, which includes Yes Winnipeg and Tourism Winnipeg. As the former chief strategy officer and general counsel of the Canadian Wheat Board, she did incredible things. She's a lawyer, a passionate Winnipegger, a tireless volunteer, a Queen's Platinum Jubilee Medal recipient, the first woman to ever have her name engraved on the Grey Cup, and so much more. She's a hero in so many ways, and her passion and drive is second to none. So, who is this Dana Spiring, and what can we learn from her? A whole lot. And I could hardly wait to get started when we sat down in her office, high above downtown Winnipeg. Well, here we are, heroes in our midst, and I'm sitting with another one. Dana Spiring is her name, and um, well, Dana, you and I met at uh, Gold Medal Plates, I think, yeah. or must have been. Yeah, how yeah. many years ago would that have been? We've, they've been coming to Winnipeg for 10 years now, mm-hmm. so I got asked by the head of Gold Medal Plates to try to bring it to Winnipeg. They, they'd had events across the country, never one in Winnipeg, Yeah. and so I got a call out of the blue, and, and we brought it here 10 years ago. Yeah, so neat. Yeah. What a great initiative, and it's just great to have you as a, as a part of it and having actually brought it here. Well, and to get to get face-to-face with Olympians too, right? Mm-hmm. So at the time, all of Gold Medal Plates fundraising went to support Canada's Olympic team, and you know, that was just exciting to be around that. And there's a music component to it as well. So you had, you know, Canadian rock stars that were also there. So it was a fun night and it was, uh, it was good to bring it to Winnipeg. Yeah, wasn't that cool? Oh my word, Blue Rodeo and more. Yeah. So you've done so many things and the titles and the accomplishments behind your name make us go, wow. You know, but I think the point of our conversation today is to let people know who you are and in that find out, well, what was it that, what is it that makes you tick and what was yeah. it that has now enabled you to have the confidence and, and bring people to follow you? I mean, you are a leader in so many ways. So where, where did Dana Spiring get her start? <laughs> like, where did you begin? Well, I was born in Brandon. So um, I, I grew up there and uh, moved to Winnipeg when I was 12 years old. I've often told the story. So I started my career as a lawyer. I was in corporate commercial and securities law. When I was probably 10, nine or 10 years old, there was a movie on television called Class Action. It was Gene Hackman and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. <laughs> and he was, they were both lawyers. It was a father, daughter in a courtroom. The daughter, you know, she was smart, she was beautiful, she was powerful, and she had the ability to beat her dad in court. And I remember watching this movie thinking, that's what I wanna do, I wanna be a lawyer. And so at you know, 10, 11 years old, however old I was, I decided that was it. And I was gonna go to law school and, and you know, I put my head down and that's where I went. You know, fast forward that to actually being in law school and, and learning how you know, the legal system works and, and you know, the courtroom dramas were always the sexy thing, right? It was always exciting and all those things until you get to law school and you realize that to be in a courtroom is a whole bunch of research for weeks and weeks and weeks if you're lucky. And in Manitoba, at least, you know, more than nine out of 10 trials settle before they go to trial. So in my mind, you're sitting there, you're doing all this great work to, to come up with spectacular arguments mm-hmm. that we're never going to see the light of day. I thought, there's no way, that would just drive me bananas. Yeah. Like, I would want someone to hear what I had to say after <laughs> I did all that work. So fast forward, I, I didn't even want to be in a courtroom when I finished law school. So I went in and did uh, corporate commercial and securities law. 
love the business side of that. Um, worked at, at Aikens, Macaulay and Thorvaldson and, uh, and, and got to be a part of, you know, great business deals and, and all of the drama and excitement that went with that, but totally a different course from where I thought I was going to be at, you know, 10 or 11. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So you pursued that whole lawyer side of things. And where did yeah. that lead you? I practiced for about five years. Um, and then I was seconded to the Canadian Wheat Board. Mm -hmm. So Canadian Wheat Board, for those people who don't know, you know, was a monopoly. Mm -hmm. It bought all of the grain that was grown in Western Canada from Western Canadian producers. So they had to pay farmers for their grain before customers ultimately paid the Wheat Board for that grain. So they borrowed about three or four billion dollars a year at the time, which was great legal work. I mean, if you were a corporate commercial lawyer, borrowing billions of dollars was, you know, some of the best work in Manitoba at the time. We had a AAA credit rating at the Wheat Board. And so I went there for six months thinking that I was going to help them with some financing and different things. Ended up going back to Aikens and they called me, you know, two weeks after I went back and offered me a full-time position there. And to me, it was just this great balance of getting into the office every morning and you're talking to investment bankers in New York or in Toronto or in London and doing these great financial deals in the morning. And in the afternoon, you were a lawyer at the Wheat Board and farmers were calling you and, and they only cared if it was going to rain, right? Like yeah. it was just that huge wow. dichotomy of how the world works and how business works. And, and so I, I fell in love with it. And I stayed there um, for about 10 years. I worked my way up at the Wheat Board eventually became chief strategy officer and general counsel. We lost the monopoly at the Wheat Board in 2012. And so my job as chief strategy officer was to figure out how to privatize it. So we built a grain company uh, in three years and we ultimately sold it to a joint venture between the Saudi government and Bungie, which is a large multinational ag company um, in 2015. Was, it was an incredible, incredible ride. Wow. So, I mean, even just talking about billions of dollars, some people might, yeah. like, I, I, I'm just wondering, where do you think, you know, that takes some, some courage and some jam to do a job like that that's so big. Did that build as you studied to become a lawyer? Was that from your childhood? Like, you know what I mean? How, what was you, what yeah. do you think is, was the makeup of you that enabled you to go, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. You know I can be I, chief strategy officer. I can make this happen. Well, so that I worked up to. So when I right. went to the Wheat Board, I was, I was just legal counsel. Yep. Um, learned their financial stuff. And, and the reality is when you're a lawyer, like the zeros don't really matter. Right? <laughs> it's got to be right if it's 100 grand or a million or 10 million or a billion. It's got to be right. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure it even really hit me like that yeah. at that time. It's, it was just great work and it was... <laughs> It was exciting and, and it was global work, right? right? Which was for a girl from Brandon was pretty exciting, right? To be able to, you know, go to London or, or New York and, and deal with these investment bankers. It was a lot of fun. So yeah. I yeah, I'm not sure that the dollar amount was ever the thing. Right. You know, leading up to becoming chief strategy officer, I had worked at the Wheat Board for the better part of a decade by that point. Yeah. Um, you know, we had as a team, we had seen these changes coming. We knew we knew that it was a possibility and you know, when push came to shove and the, and the government said, hey, we're, we're pulling the monopoly, sink or swim, you know, I think there was a core group of us that said, yeah, we're swimming and, and let's figure out how to do that. So in three years, you know, we built grain elevators, we bought railways, we bought boats, um, we bought a terminal in, in Thunder Bay, and then we traveled the world to sell what we built. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, you know, that was one of the most incredible opportunities that I've ever had. You know, we'd be in China for 30 hours, we'd be in Dubai, we'd be in Japan, and, and all just promoting this great company that we built, and you know, ultimately we sold it for over 500 million. It was valued at less than 100 million 
on July 1, 2012, or August 1, 2012, wow. and we sold it for 550 million three years later. So it was a it was an incredible ride, and I say to everybody that you know professionally it was like playing in the Super Bowl. I don't think I will ever get a professional experience as incredible as that one was. I'm getting lots of great experiences, but nothing nothing like that one was. Yeah. I think some people think when you do something that like you have to be an expert in the Canadian wheat board and farmers and oh. all of that. You weren't an expert in farming, <laughs> no. right? No. So what would you say to those of us who think, well, how did you, how did you do anything in that field? It, but it's not about that, is it? Yeah. I brought my legal skills to that job mm -hmm. initially, but, but you learn what you don't know. And I think part of it is you need to know what you don't know and you need to be really careful about not overstepping and learning as much as you can. Funny story when you say, you know, I didn't know anything about farming. <laughs> they had a, a chance, um, they took, you used to take all the executives from the Canadian Wheat Board and you would go out into the, the country and you would combine, we called it combine to customer. So you would go and meet with farmers and you'd hop in a combine with them and you'd talk about the Wheat Board and talk about their farm and, and do all these things. So I'm ready to go, I'm, you know, my first time as an executive, they call me, I'm going out to Alberta. One of our employees in Alberta meets me, you know, in his pickup truck and we drive out to the middle of this farm. And I remember getting out of the truck and this farmer hops out of his combine and he looks at me and he gives me the big up and down, like, you? <laughs> you work at the Wheat Board? <laughs> I said, yeah, I look, look, can't wait to talk to you. So we hop in the combine and I think he's thinking, who the heck is this girl and what is she doing here? But we had a great conversation and, you know, it, it kind of unfolds, but, but you learn it as you go. And, and I don't think... I don't think I've been ready or, or been an expert in any of the jobs I've taken, mm -hmm. you know, throughout my career. Wow. You, you, there's a little bit of that uncomfortableness that comes from knowing what you don't know, but also being willing to put in the work to get to where you need to be. Yeah. Knowing what you don't know, that's so, that's so genius. And it reminds me of sport, actually, and, and being, being willing to ask the questions, right? Yeah. And not seeing that as weakness. Not knowing is not necessarily, you know, weakness. Ask someone who does know. Yeah. And then, boom, you build your knowledge. Yeah, 100%. Wow. Wow, in any field. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. Absolutely. Any field, we're talking about farming. Isn't that kind of neat? <laughs> okay, so you sell this. You, you, like, you, sell the wheat board. Done. In three years, you three just years. make build leaps it and, and bounds. It. Then what happens? Then, then what? I had to figure out what was next, right? <laughs> yeah. So my job, like as chief strategy officer and general counsel, I knew my job ended when we did this deal. And, uh, you know, it was July 31, 2015. And I was, you know, across the street from where we are now. Um, my office had a, you know, and, and the office continued, right? The wheat board was bought by a company called G3, so it, it formed G3. They're still in downtown Winnipeg, so the vast majority of our staff stayed in their stayed in their seats, and, and that was a great um, outcome of the of the transaction. I knew though that my job was going to be done, and I remember going to this lunch that our office had thrown for me. They bought me this beautiful painting, and and you know I had to kind of get it together because I had to go back and close the deal. The documents were not all signed yet. But you go do that and it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you realize, all right, it's done. So you pack up your stuff, you walk out of the office and that was it. And at the time I was, I, you know, you, you'd worked so hard. We put in so many hours. It was just kind of surreal. Um, at the time my husband was trying to encourage me, Dana, take a year, figure out what you want to do, figure out, you know, what, what's next. And, you know, this was such a hard act to follow. We were all paid really well. It was as, as executives, we we did very well. So there was an opportunity to just pause and decide what you want to do next. And I tried that a little bit. Um, 
I was not you great at it. You tried the pause? Yeah, I tried okay. the pause. I was still doing some consulting for G3. We had bought some um, Laker vessels that transported grain down the Great Lakes. We bought them in China. So I was still going to China to get the last of the, of the vessels that we purchased. So I was doing a little bit of travel. So that was kind of September, October. I was doing a little bit of that. Uh, we hosted the Grey Cup in November. Mm -hmm. So I uh, hosted the, the Grey Cup Gala on that November. But I remember by December, I was going crazy. I was not ready to be home. And I remember my husband calling me and he said, uh, he was at the office, he calls me at home. He's like, hey, how's your day going? I said, I have two university degrees and I'm making granola bars. How do you think my day is going? <laughs> like, it's not going well. This is not what is supposed to be happening. And I, I remember the reaction at the other end of the phone going, okay, well, I'll see you. I'll see you after six. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah. <laughs> Hope the day gets better. I'm gonna let you go. Yeah. And I, I knew at that point, I just wasn't ready, right? And, and I yeah. think it was just, I knew it was coming. You knew you were building up to it. I just wasn't ready. And I wasn't confident enough in myself to say, okay, take a pause, take a year. Because I, I remember thinking after three weeks, well, no one's calling me. No one's talking to me. What if, what if I'm never going to have a job again? What if I'm never going to work again? What if, what if, what if, what if, right? Sure. And, and friends now, or even my husband would just laugh at that thinking, are you kidding me? You know, you'll be fine. But there was an insecurity in that. And, and I, you know, I honestly wasn't ready. So fast forward to December, um, they were advertising for the, the CEO and president of Economic Development Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine who, uh, Margaret Redmond, she runs Assiniboine Park right now. Um, she was on the board of EDW. And she said, Dana, I wanna take you for lunch. I wanna pitch you on a job I think you should take. So I talked to her about it. And again, I had no idea what economic development was. I didn't know what we did. I didn't know, I, I, I didn't know anything about it. And she said, I really think you should think about it because I think you'd be great for this job. So I had you know, done a little bit of homework and they had to have your applications in by, I think, the 24th of December. So keep in mind that my husband said, take a year. That was on <laughs> August 1. Um, here we are, December 24th. And I said, look, I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring. I'm never gonna get this. I, you know, it's not gonna happen, but I think it's good practice. I haven't done a job interview for a really long time. And, you know, so I'm gonna do that. He knew I was, I was not happy. Anyways, February 16th, uh, I started at Economic Development Winnipeg. Right, yeah. right, amazing. Before we get into everything you're doing here now, uh, I wanted to go back to that, to you being um, a woman in these positions. And now <laughs> I can safely say, I, yeah. I am not big, I, I'm not a big women's liber. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to be a woman who proves things, but I am proud to be a strong woman and I love chatting with you and, and I love to hear when a woman has taken a leadership role in her life and loves doing that and has yeah. driven things forward. Even just your little comment about, you know, the farmer looks at you and kind of goes, really <laughs> you? Like, were you sort of alone on that front with oh, yeah. the Canadian Wheat Board? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very few women um, in the grain industry at that time in right. senior roles. So, so the higher up that you went in some of those grain companies, the, the less there was. So at the Wheat Board, I was very fortunate at that time. Um, our CFO was also a woman, Britta Chell, okay. uh, which was great. But, but still, we would rarely be in meetings together. So you'd be in boardrooms with 20 or 30 people. And oftentimes, you know, I was the only woman in that room. And, you know, you, you recognize it at first. It, I think initially it's kind of, you know, you're a little, it's very clear who's not like the other one. <laughs> yes. But I think at some point you use that to a bit of your advantage, mm -hmm. right? you're the only one that's wearing a skirt and people are going to listen when you have something to say. And, and so you get more comfortable, but there were moments when it was, you know, it was very, um, 
in some instances it was awkward and in other instances it was just it was something that you know was very evident to mm-hmm. everybody in the room when we were selling the canadian wheat board we had a story we were um well we sold to a, a joint venture of the saudis and bungie and i couldn't go to saudi arabia to do the deal so our prime minister's office just said well dana you know sorry we can't keep you safe in saudi arabia arabia so you can't go there just negotiate in dubai and i thought well why are we neg- why are we doing a deal with a country that can't keep me safe, right? Right. Like, why why is that okay when we're Canadian? And and I, I lost that battle, and you know, it, the, the, ultimately the prime minister got to decide where where we sold to. So, um, so that happened. But we were in Dubai uh, with the, with one of the royal families in Dubai. So we went for lunch. We went and presented in a boardroom um, of the Dubai royal family. Mm-hmm. Went to their palace for lunch, and I walked into this beautiful room it's it's where they it's a welcoming room like a reception room and you walk in and there are these beautiful silk carpets all over the floor and there is a leather couch along two walls and so the sheikh would walk in and he would sit in the corner in the in the corner of these couches and depending on how important you were depended on where you sat close to him right so the ceo of the wheat board at the time sat directly beside the sheikh and i sat beside him so you walk into this room and it's all men. It's all men. The, the, the help is men. The royalty is men. Everybody is male. So you walk in and all of these guys are taking off their shoes uh, when you walk in the door. So I'm looking around thinking, okay, so you take off your shoes, right? So I go to take off my shoes. This poor boy that is working there um, just about died. No, 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 not you, not you, not you. It's not good for women to take off their shoes. Apparently that's very racy in Dubai. So I kept my shoes on, which, you know, frankly was a favor because the suit looked way better with the shoes, I will tell you. <laughs> yeah. But so you it go, was an outfit. Yeah, it was an outfit. It all had to work. <laughs> so, so you go sit down and they, you know, they're talking to you and, and they bring out like fruit. So you're, they bring out bowls of fruit. They brought out bowls of mangoes. And, and it, you know, what do you do with a mango when you're sitting on a couch with a suit? And I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And there's these other people that there was Iraqis there and, and a bunch of Middle Eastern men were there and they're pulling the pocket knives out of their robes you know they're peeling the mango and anyways it was a whole experience wow but we walked into the dining room for lunch and again you're at this big long table it's probably 50 men and me and they bring out these bowls of um, rice and different things and there's a skull on them so like a lamb skull and they're ready to serve you. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, right? They're eating, like, there's no cutlery on the, on the table. So you're like, are we doing this with our hands? What's going to happen? <laughs> How does this work? And everyone goes to wash their hands, but there's no women's washroom, right? It's just a men's washroom. Wow. So they brought me a cloth to okay. wipe my hands. Okay. So it was just, uh, wow. you know, there was just those moments where you're thinking, it, it, you're not always caught that you're the only woman in the room. And it doesn't always matter. But there's mm. times when it's so obvious. And so, wow. and everyone has to adjust, right? Yes. The Middle East is you know, mm-hmm. a few, a few decades behind where we are. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And to be that woman in the room, you know, yeah. and, and obviously you're allowed in the room, you're partaking, you're participating, but yeah. different culture, yeah. different rules yeah. and uh, still yeah. being, you know, brave enough, confident enough to, to stand in there and say, well, I'm, I'm here at the meeting. We're here. Yeah. I'm here right in, yeah. in your presence sort of thing. Yeah. And you didn't have time to think about it. I no, think that's I bet. where it gets better. Right. So I knew we were going to Dubai to pitch my deal. I was pitching. It was my deal. So I knew I was talking. I knew exactly what I was going to say, but I didn't realize the the drama that had to happen around it. And so, you know, you just go with it because there's no other option at that time. Mm -hmm. Just experiences that so many of us have not had. In your leadership as a woman, though, I think sometimes we, we think 
well, we have to be either more like men or we have to prove yeah. ourselves. But I want to go more on the positive side where, what do you think you bring to the table as a female? What, what, what do we bring to the table as females when we're in leadership positions? Yeah, and I'm not sure it's different than what a, a man would bring to the leadership position. Right. I mean, we come with a different perspective. We come with, um, you know, a different history, but, but so does everybody else around that table. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that... You know, I, I think there is a, a real willingness, and, and I, I would say this even going back to my wheat board days, I, I believe that there is a real willingness of, of most people mm -hmm. to welcome a whole bunch of perspectives around that table. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, being female, it's people don't know what, what you're bringing to the table, right? They don't know if you're going to be more emotional than maybe some of the men would be. They don't know if you're going to be more, you know, empathetic than other men would be. I, I don't know. But um but I think there was a real willingness to to invite me into the conversation and, yeah. and certainly to listen to what I had to say, you know, when I was sitting at those tables. Yeah, I love that. So now here you are, president and CEO, economic development, yeah. Winnipeg and tourism and bringing people and, and, and letting people know how great Winnipeg is. Yeah. Um, so you get this job that you didn't think you were going to yeah. get. Yeah. Maybe take us back to that. And, and you come in here and what was your life like then? What exactly was was the position exactly where you are now when you started? Yeah, no, totally different. Yeah, that's what so, I thought. Yeah. We <laughs> had to shake things up you, a little bit. You didn't just jump in here and become no. president and CEO. No. So so I I got the job of president and CEO of EDW. We were in a different office space. Mm -hmm. um, under the economic development umbrella is a is a group called Yes Winnipeg, which is our business development group. Okay. And Tourism Winnipeg. Okay. So Yes Winnipeg is really um, the business facing team of our office. They're the sales team. So their job is to go and attract businesses to Winnipeg, help companies in Winnipeg expand, help them find talent, um, and help them through any challenges that they're having. So as an example, we had a company not too long ago that, that wanted to expand their footprint in Winnipeg. So add a big addition onto their building, hire new people, and there were permitting challenges, and they had to deal with the city of Winnipeg because they were different land title numbers and various things. My team is equipped to walk people through that, and we're effectively a concierge service. You know, businesses know how to do their business; they know how to run their business. Let us help them around the edges to make that as easy as we can from a, you know, government or, or, attraction perspective. On the tourism Winnipeg side, um, you know, our primary role of my tourism team is to go out and attract meetings and conventions and special events to Winnipeg. So, you know, a lot of things that we don't always think about. You know, if you have a convention of family doctors that come to Winnipeg, we get 2,000 family doctors that come from across Canada, they come to Winnipeg, they stay in our hotels, they eat in our restaurants, they get to experience all of our attractions. That's huge economic impact for the city and the province. And those are, you know, those are really the bread and butter of, of our tourism industry. Mm -hmm. We also have a great marketing team and, and a market intelligence team that promotes Winnipeg on, on different channels. You, people may have seen that we launched a new brand this year. Um, so all of that work is done too to, to invite leisure travelers and show people what you know what there is to see and do here. But all of that kind of comes together under that economic development Winnipeg umbrella. So when I got to economic development Winnipeg, we had a we had an economic development team, mm -hmm. we had a yes Winnipeg team, and we had a tourism Winnipeg team. They did not work together, <laughs> they didn't talk to each other really. The the economic development team had their own marketing people. The tourism team had their own marketing people. Keep in mind, we're, we're an office of 40 people. Like, this is absurd, yes. what we were doing. Um, and, and it just wasn't, it wasn't a cohesive pitch on why this is one of the greatest places to live and visit and invest. And so that, that took a lot of 
kind of massaging. We had, uh, you know, we we changed a lot of our team members and we we built a team. And I, I've been here for more than six years now. We built a team that that understands that Winnipeg has so much to offer. You know, we're we're not apologizing for the cold. In fact, we do cold better than anybody. Right. So you want to come experience winter? Do it here. You know, we we're not going to apologize for mosquitoes or potholes because those are not unique to us. Right. We we are going to talk about the businesses that are world class that were built by Winnipeggers. We're going to talk about you know the tourist attractions that are drawing people from around the globe to come and see. Whether it's the Inuit Art Center, which put us on the cover of Time Magazine, you know, or um, this the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, which is just one of those buildings that that you know often I've heard described as a cathedral. Right. You mm-hmm. walk into it and it's just there is something otherworldly about it. And and so there's so much that we have to do. So we we built a team and and we've you know evolved that team over a number of years now. And I think today the, the economic development Winnipeg that we have today is is the lead economic development agency you know in the province. We are great at what we do. And, and we have a team that is um, highly skilled, highly motivated, and, and really passionate about this city and what they do. And, and it shows in, in everything that we do. Yeah, I love your perspective about Let's not complain about the cold. We do cold best. Absolutely. Anyone can put that into their lives, right? I mean, we can turn almost any complaint yeah. we have or any whining we feel like doing or any, if we feel subpar or lesser than. Change the change the narrative. Right. Yeah. It was actually amazing about, I don't know, pre-COVID. So it's all dog years for me, you know, before COVID. <laughs> but, but pre-COVID, we had a woman that's a writer from the LA Times come in. She was coming to write an article about Winnipeg. We brought her to Winnipeg in January. Risky, right? Risky. She came here in January, and I remember I was going to the gym at about 6.30 in the morning. I was meeting her for breakfast at 9.30. But at 6.30 in the morning, they ha- we had these big, fluffy, white snowflakes coming down. It was minus three degrees. Oh. It was <laughs> magical. So I meet this woman for breakfast, and she says, it's like a movie. And I said, yeah, welcome to Winnipeg in January. This is what we do, right? She went to the Forks. She skated for the first time. She got on the Zamboni that's fueled with French fry oil because we are so sustainable at the Forks and doing different things. She got to experience winter in Winnipeg. Now, granted, it was one of our best winter days in Winnipeg. (laughs) But she got to experience it. And she went back and wrote in the LA Times about this incredible winter experience that Frankly, you don't get to experience if you're in LA. That's right. And and it was a whole other it was a whole other thing, right? It was mm-hmm. it was great. And I think people needed to get out of get over themselves, right? And go appreciate it. And even during COVID, you know, when we were all locked down here and, and we had to figure out how to how to get through that first winter, I decided that I was gonna embrace it, right? I, I you know, I've always been a little delicate in the cold and doing things, <laughs> but I just started wrapping up and doing it. And I cross country skied and I snowshoed and you know had skates at my cottage, like things that I'd never done in 15 years that, that I just started to do because there were not a whole lot of options at that time. And I love it. And I'm still doing it as often mm-hmm. as I can because it's just, it's one of those great things that we have to offer in this city. Yeah. You know, even I, when I'm chatting with you, I'm, uh, you know, I feel your energy and your positivity and even just talking about that, like change your perspective and how you, have you always been like that? There has to have been times in, in all <laughs> <morning>. the... <laughs> In all of your times as you've worked through and, and done these challenging things, I mean, you're, the confidence and the drive to do it is great. But along with that comes all the work, the hours of work yeah. that, you, I mean, you alluded to it, 
when you talked about the research you have to do to get to the point of presenting something and all the work you guys did and the hours of the big sale, you know, the Canadian Wheat Board, the millions and billions of dollars. So that all looks great. Tell us a little more about behind the scenes, you know, um, those hours of work. Yeah. Have you, you know, have you ever been so tired or wondering, do you ever, had, have you ever had a time where you wondered why you were doing it? And there doesn't have to be a time, but I'm curious yeah. if, you know, you what know, were the greatest challenges? I mean, you, you don't get to escape the work, right? If you're going to be good at what you do, you're going to work at it and you're going to put time in it. I, I don't believe that anyone has got some God-given talent to come down and be able to lead in any field and, mm-hmm. and be able to be an expert in anything without putting in the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the wheat board was, um, oh, it was, it was all-encompassing. It was tons of hours. It was, it was working with experts. It was learning you know, the ag business in a different way. It was learning about what farmers needed in a different way. And then it was figuring out how to sell it globally. You know, in economic development, it was coming in and understanding what, what's Winnipeg's value proposition? What are we good at? You know, for so long we heard, well, Winnipeg has a diversified economy, so we never boom and we never bust and it's all really nice. Yeah, it's not that nice. Let's go pick some winners. Let's figure out how we're gonna get better and let's put, hitch our wagons to those people and those companies and those opportunities and watch us fly. Right, so it's it's doing a bunch of work, and and you know we made a lot of changes at EDW. We we've you know re- reorganized our team. We've we've done the work. We've brought in people who are great at what they do, who still have learning to do, but who are great at what they do and understand the path to get to where we want to get to. And all of that stuff happens. I think the one time, you know, where I was the hardest time for me, the biggest challenge for me was leading during COVID. It was. You know, you think about my tourism team, who their sole job is to bring people together, right? Tourism is predicated on people sharing experiences. Well, you're not allowed to do that during COVID, right? It's, it's the antithesis of that. Yeah. You know, we talked about encouraging businesses to expand, encouraging businesses to come in and invest in Winnipeg. That's our Yes Winnipeg team. Well, during COVID, that wasn't possible either, right? Mm-hmm. And so I watched across the country as tourism agencies and economic development agencies let go of their staff, I, I watched as, you know, there was just that uncertainty of when is this ending yeah. and how are we going to do this and how, how long do you continue to promote Winnipeg on a, on a stage when, you know, we, we, we're not asking people to come here right now, <laughs> we're not asking people to travel. That was really hard. Um, it was hard just, just motivating the staff. It was hard motivating myself because it wasn't, none of it was fun, none of it was positive, none of it was giving any certainty to the people that, you know, we built this team together and, and like it or not, I was leading the team and I didn't have the answers, right? So, so do I know that I could keep everybody employed for one year, two years, five years? I didn't know. You know, we, we didn't lay anybody off. We were able to keep wow. everybody, everybody going. And, and frankly, we, we used that time to really do more homework hmm. and, do, and build more relationships and do all the things that, you know, maybe were on the side of our desks pre-COVID, but now we're home and we're trying to figure out, okay, what is the next... What does the next three weeks look like? Because we started there. And we talked about, you know, we need to understand our aerospace sector better. We need to understand how our ag sector is going to work and where are the opportunities. And we talk about ag tech and let's make sure we really understand that because we have three weeks to learn about it. You know, and three weeks turned into three months, turned <laughs> into, you know, two years. But, but we, we spent a lot of time trying to motivate ourselves to be better mm-hmm. and trying to understand what we needed to learn and you know, collectively getting ourselves ready for when the world opened up again. And I think, you know, we did a remarkable job of it and I'm so proud of what we did, but I would be lying if I didn't say there were moments in that journey where, you know, I just wanted to 
pull the curtains down and get into bed and think yeah. like this has got to be over soon because yeah. I'm, I'm done can we just stop for yeah. a while yeah. <laughs> right can this just pause yeah yeah well yeah you think about tourism in that time it was really the was one of the things that was completely it just didn't yeah. even make sense that it would exist in COVID because exactly what COVID said not to do yeah was what tourism is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Leave, yeah. be with people, go yeah. and do things. Yeah. Wow. Incredible to survive through that and be able to keep your team together. Yeah. Through and that. I always joke because I said to my team, you know, next time we have a pandemic, Harvard is going to have written a business case on how to lead during a pandemic and I'm going to be way better next time. But uh, the first time through, we all just did the best we could and, and um, you know, it was yeah. uh, it was challenging for sure. Yeah. But what, what a great example of a challenge that you have faced. What about reaching excellence and sacrifices you have to make along the way in your even studying just to be a lawyer is wow an overload Uh, you know I mean even if we go back to that do you think there are sacrifices you've made in your life that whether you feel worth it or not worth it or whatever that you made to become and to get yourself into a position that you are I think everyone has to make sacrifices I mean just in terms of you know where you spend your time sure and I think to be to be an expert or to be good at what you're doing at, at a really high level, you know, it's just time and hard work, mm-hmm. and there are no shortcuts. I mean, my husband has the line that you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get, oh. and he's exactly right, right? You, you got to put the time in, and so the sacrifices came in, you know, choosing where to spend that time, right? And and not always fun choices, not always easy choices, yeah. but there are times when you know I had to be at the office and not home with my family. There was times when you know in law school or or at the wheat board, I'm you know traveling all over the globe and I'm not at birthday parties or I'm not going out with my girlfriends or I'm not being able to do some of those things mm-hmm. that I would have loved to have done but mm-hmm. um but it's about choices yeah and always worth it right if you know your choice is what you've done yeah right no yeah. one else has made you do it no no yeah. and, and you do it because you you know you see what's possible right mm-hmm. you see what's out there and and grateful that I have a, a network of people around me who have been accommodating to that yeah. right and who understand that and who've been supportive of that because yeah. I can't imagine if I didn't have that. It would be really, really tough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You sound like you have a husband, too, who's busy and, and obviously in the, uh, yeah, yeah. My a, husband, a great entrepreneur yeah. himself. Yeah. I mean, he knows what sacrifice and commitment and hard work is. Yeah, I mean, he's built so you the understand most successful each other. financial firm in the history of Canada. Right? <laughs> exactly. So um, he's probably hello. a little out of my league, but, uh, <laughs> but he's incredibly, yeah, he's incredibly good at what he does. And, and it's been amazing to me that you know, it's kind of been a bit of a relay. So mm-hmm. he built a company called Wellington West. He sold it in 2011 um, and or 2012. It's 2011 or 2012. I don't know. One of the dates. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> but but during that time when he was leading up to selling that, I mean, he was all hands on deck, right? And, and I was kind of manning the home front because he was totally consumed. And then it was my turn. And, and when we were selling the wheat board, you know, he was manning everything and, you know, planning a weekend away or doing whatever he could do during that time. And, and it's been a bit of a relay. And we've been cool. so lucky to be able to do that and, and to be able to share those opportunities and, you know, vent to each other at night saying, like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is what's happening or this is, this is what this deal looks like. And, and you have someone who's, who's your partner and you're equal in every way that could, you know, that you can bounce ideas off of and, and we're, we're pretty lucky to have that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lucky, but also I'm, I'm sure you, you consciously support each other and, and really sure. understand when things get tough or, yeah. right? Yeah. Get and, super and, busy. Yeah, and, yeah, and we see it and we I see love it, that. but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really great. neat. So we've talked a lot about your work life and your journey through that and your yeah. success in that and all of that. But you've added 
things to your portfolio that aren't <laughs> your work. You are on boards. You have yeah. volunteered. You, you know, we talked right at the beginning of our conversation how you brought gold medal plates. You know, yeah. um, and th- that's that's a fundraiser. It's a fundraiser for you know our Canadian Olympic athletes and all yeah. of that. So, where does that fit for you? How important has that been for you? And why pour yourself into even more, which makes you even busier? Yeah. I think it goes back to that question of leadership. And if you want to be a leader, you know, there are things that are expected of you. And I think I have been so fortunate um, to have the career that I've had in this city um, that it would be irresponsible of me not to give back. So, you know, gold medal plates was an easy one. And it was, you know, frankly, it was a lot of fun. And there were lots of things around that. But but I'm chairing the United Way right now. I'm chairing the 2022 campaign. And, and it is um, a huge amount of work. It, it is something that I'm passionate about because they support 125 agencies in our community. And I, I want to know that, you know, when my friends or my neighbors need, need help because life isn't going the way it's supposed to go, that, that there are resources that are in place to be able to support them. And I, I think um, it, it's one of those things that it's a sacrifice in some ways and it's a, it's a time, it's very, very time consuming in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, but, but Winnipeg needs it and our community needs it. And, and so those are the types of things that I'm always gonna I'm always gonna continue to do when you know when you've been given so much I think much is expected. Oh, I love that. That's a great line. Um, let's talk about your involvement with Winnipeg Blue Bombers yeah. and the football club. First woman on the Grey Cup. First woman on the Grey Cup. So exciting. When did you get involved with the Bombers? Why? And yeah. um, you know, are you a football fan? <laughs> <laughs> I am now. You are now. <laughs> yeah. uh, I joined the, the Winnipeg football. Uh, club's board of directors in 2015 and I'm just trying to think if that's right yes that is right 2015 um, I was still at the wheat board and David Asper had come to me and said you know Dana we want we need more women on this board it's a community team uh, we need more representation we need to you know look more like our community we need you on the on the board would you put your name forward and I said David you know flattered thank you very much um, I don't know anything about football. <laughs> so I, you know, we, Charlie and I have season tickets. We go to the odd game. You know, I enjoyed it as a fan, but, but I could never tell them who should be quarterback or how this was all supposed to work. And David laughed and he said, Dana, we don't need you to tell us who should be quarterback. We have people for that. We need you to help us run the business and we need you to help us protect the brand and make sure that, you know, this team is doing the right things for this community. So I, I took that and I, I joined the board. Um, I became vice chair of the board very quickly and that was all part of their public nomination process and just the way that the timelines worked. I became vice chair of the board um, in 2016, I believe, Um, 2016 or 2017. And then I became chair of the board of directors in 2019. So in 2019, the Bombers had not won a Grey Cup in 29 years. So I took over as chair January 1 of 2019 and in November I was hoisting a Grey Cup. It was... uh, it was pretty phenomenal to, to be able to do it. And, and it was funny because I didn't realize that I would be on the Grey Cup. I didn't realize that that was a thing. I didn't know how that worked. And, and in, in the CFL, community teams, their chairperson is on the Grey Cup because in privately owned teams, the owner is on the Grey Cup. Right. So, so that's the distinction. So we had gone to Calgary. The Grey Cup was in Calgary. And I've learned from all these football players that there's all these superstitions out there. Oh, yeah. So one of the superstitions was you do not get your picture taken with the Grey Cup unless you win the Grey Cup. Like, so you don't, you don't go and, and do that. So we arrive in Calgary on the Thursday night. They do the player awards. We've got some players that are nominated for awards. And the Grey Cup is sitting there, right? 
and, and everyone's like, Dana, let's, let's take a picture. Let's take a picture. I'm like, oh, no, no, don't try to trick me. I know that's not allowed. I can't do that. I can't do that. So you kind of stay away from it. And Jeff Mawinney, who is the keeper of the cup, um, he came up to me and he said, I'm so proud of you. And I said, oh, thanks. And he said, um, well, do you know what happens on Sunday if, if the Bombers win the Great Cup? And I said, well, yeah, you know, we'll break a 29-year drought. It'll be great. Yep. You know, it'll be great for the organization, It'll, whatever. And he said, no, no, no. If, if the Bombers win on Sunday, you'll be the first woman to ever have her name on this cup. And, you know, you'll make history. And I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. So I got goosebumps. And, and it, was just, it was just part of that weekend, right? It was magical. And so, you know, that Sunday I hoisted a Grey Cup. And I drank out of a Grey Cup. And as a tip, don't ever do that. Because you know, I now know what's in that Grey Cup sometimes. Oh. Yeah, it's not good. Oh. But anyways, I did it. And it was... It was amazing. And then, you know, the next year was COVID. And so I go from being chair of this, you know, magical time when everything's going well to a year when the CFL did not play mm -hmm. um, because of COVID. And, and we had calls, you know, multiple times a week, wondering if the league could survive that, wondering, you know, could our players survive that because they weren't getting paid? Um, what did that all look like? So that was a really, really tough year. And then to come back in 2021 and win another time. I think some of us would love to know, um, and whatever it is that you can share, I don't want you to, you know, no secrets need to be told, but from behind the scenes and from what you've seen, why are the Winnipeg Blue Bombers so successful right now? What is the organization showing yeah. you or, you know, what's happening there, do you think, in all the success that you've had and yeah. all that you've seen and in life, I it's, mean, let's face it, it's all the same. Yeah, it's not dissimilar to what we've already been talking about. It's right. hard work. Yeah. So, you know, Wade Miller came into that organization, um, I think around 2015. So he was very close to when I first joined that board. Um, he is the hardest working guy hmm. in the CFL. And, and that's recognized among every team in wow. the CFL. You know, we do more to sell tickets. We do more to worry about our fan experience. We do war more to make sure that, you know, the prices in the stadium are affordable for people that are able to come there with their kids and their families. And, and we work harder than any other team does, um, you know, in the CFL. That translates to our coaching staff who work hard and, and treat our players with a level of respect that you know, I don't think we see all across the league. And, and there is a, a real, you know, just, a, just a real relationship of, of respect and, and hard work that goes with it, right? We expect a lot of our players. We expect a lot of our coaches, a lot of our management, but they deliver, mm -hmm. right? And they deliver and they reap the benefits of that. And, and so it's, it's hard work. It doesn't, yeah. there, you know, there's no, there's no easy way around it. Isn't that amazing? What do you do on mornings when you wake up and you don't feel like working so hard? There are not a lot of those mornings. I would think so. I would yeah. think not. But I, I'm pretty disciplined. So I work like out that. every morning. So I, I'm up at 6. I'm at the gym by 6.30. Uh, every morning with the exception of Saturdays and Sundays. I'll usually take one of those days, uh, especially if we can be at our cottage. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll try to get exercise outside. I'll go for a cross-country ski or I'll do something. Um, but, but I am pretty motivated especially during the week, there's never a day where it's, you know, it doesn't start like that. Um, you know, and then you just got to get into gear, right? I've got 50 people around this office who, who are all coming to work with that passion and who are all coming with that energy. And, you know, sometimes when you don't feel it, you feed off everybody else. And when they don't feel it, you have to bring it. And, yeah. uh, and it's a team. Yeah. I love that. And they're looking to you, aren't they? They're, they're I looking mean, to me, but I, but I, some to days each other. I look to them. That's right. right. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's part of surrounding yourself with, with great talented people and and you know there's a lot of people who in my office who are much smarter than I am in their areas and <laughs> and I'll take it and I'll learn mm -hmm. it from them and and uh, you know watch them do what they do uh, what's the future 
for you, Dana. What, what do you think? Um, do you think far in the future or do you, are you a real like, I'm gonna take care of today as best I can? No, I, I'm thinking ahead. I mean, I, you know, when I took on this job at EDW, I thought I'd be here for between five and 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're past the five year mark. So, so I'm gonna think about what's next and what's that next evolution. I love doing board work. I, I'm on the board of Winpack uh, right now, which I was just actually in Los Angeles yesterday at one of their plants at a board meeting there. I, I love that. I love learning about other businesses and, and um, finding a way to contribute that way. You know, I, I'm not sure what's next. And, and I, I think when I decide that I'm done at EDW, um, you know, I'll, I'll still be a, a champion for Winnipeg and I'll still make sure that, that you know, we, we continue to put Winnipeg on the map. So mm. those are the types of things that, uh, that I'll look for opportunities in and, uh, and we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Yeah. Real quick, let's get to our rapid okay. fire questions. You are 100 years old. What is the story you most love to tell? I'm not sure I've written it yet. I'm only 45. I think I'm not quite halfway there, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the, the obvious answer would be the great love story, right? Of mm. my husband and I, and, and that we've been able to build this life together and continue to do new things together. And I hope I'm continuing to tell iterations of that story. But I, I still think there's room for, for the next one. I mean, the wheat board story and selling that story, mm -hmm. selling the wheat board was, you know, still my Super Bowl. That's one of them. But I'm not convinced that's the last one. So <laughs> come back to me in, you know, another 45 and we'll talk about it. I just might. Yeah, I just okay. might. Who or what do you think people see when they see you? And is there something different you wish they would see? I think people see the public me. So they see the confidence. They see you know, the drive, I think, I think they see, I, I think they see a style of leadership when I'm on a stage or in a public eye, right? I don't think they see the part of me that, you know, is doing the work or the part of me that is second guessing what we're doing and, and understanding whether we're doing the right things and, and whether we need to course correct because we think about that all the time. I don't think they see the part of me that, that needs to, you know, just go home and be by myself because I, I, I recharge that way. I'm not, I'm not extroverted in the same way a lot of people are. I need that, that quiet time to really um, just get some perspective. Yeah, cool. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? Maybe that I'm introverted, that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that my weekends are pretty quiet if I, can, <laughs> if I can juggle it. I mean, there's usually a bunch of events and things that we do, but, but when I have the opportunity, I love to be at home and, uh, you know, cooking a great dinner or hanging out by a fire and, uh, and really laying low. Yeah. What exhausts you? Uh, small talk. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible. It exhausts me and, and, you know, working through bureaucracy where people aren't collaborative and they, you know, they, they can find a whole bunch of reasons why you can't do something. I mean, working with government is always challenging in that way, right? There's, there's a whole lot of process and, and I don't always understand the point of it, right? Mm -hmm. I, I am energized when we can work together and get stuff done. And, and my team will know that. Like, let's get it done and find ways to do it and put our heads together. And if we come to challenges, we, we figure it out and we go. The people that sit there and talk about, you know, the obstacles and why it's hard and why we shouldn't do it and why, you know, it just sucks the energy out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You answered my next question about what energizes you. Mm. So we're going to move yeah, right yeah. on. I love it. Getting things done. Yeah. Getting the team together. What was a moment of intense joy that you have experienced in your life? You know what? I've been fortunate that there's been lots. But I think the last one that I remember when I, when I first thought about that question which is being on the top of a mountain, mm -hmm. you know, cross country. Oh, we were downhill skiing and, and you take that chairlift up and the sun is shining and you're on top of this mountain and you think, wow, like this may be the closest I get to heaven or whatever people think it is. And, yeah. and that's the moment where 
I had um, just peace and joy and an excitement for what's still to come. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Two or three people who have influenced you and how did they impact your life? I'd say, you know, I, I was very fortunate to grow up in a very loving family. Mm. So my parents were hardworking and, and my mom was a teacher. You know, she she taught grade three for 40 plus years and so taught me a lot about hard work and taught me about, um, you know, the importance of being on time and some of the table stake stuff. Mm -hmm. But I would say my husband would be the other one. You know, I, I was asked once, what's the best advice I ever got? And, and my answer was marry wisely. It's great to marry someone who is your best friend, who you love to have a conversation with, who will be the biggest cheerleader in your life, but will also challenge you to keep reaching and, and to accomplish everything that you're capable of accomplishing. And so I, uh, I married wisely. Dana Spiring, thank you so much for your time. What a hero in our midst you are. And if we missed the message of hard work and putting in time, we weren't listening at all. What an incredible example to us all on how to be passionate about what you're doing and where you live every single day. Heroes in Our Midst is brought to you by Elite Sports Injury. With five locations in Winnipeg, they are here when you need physiotherapy or massage therapy. Your body's worth it, so make the time for yourself. And thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. There's a lot more on the way, so we'll talk to you again soon.